1: Well hello everybody, nicely chatted everyone, everybody seems to have found somebody to talk to, which is pretty darn good, sort of a slow, uh, slow bringing back from there, did anyone actually go to a dawn service today, I don't know whether, yeah, anybody else, just a couple? How how was it? How was it? Was it powerful? Was it over at the at the museum? Browns Bay. Oh, how fantastic! So yeah, so magnificent. How about you, Annika? Did you? Oh, you are at Browns Bay, Dan, at yeah, the Devonport Naval Base. Um, powerful, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and full. Uh, yeah, huge. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Oh well done, you guys. Well done. There's also ten o'clock ones, which may we may have lost a few people to school holidays or ten o'clock ANZAC services and stuff like that. Um, I'm sure we'll enjoy ourselves um, while we're here. I, I had a bit of a sen- a God sense during the worship, um, and I've been thinking about ANZAC, and I'll talk about a little bit about ANZAC today. Um, but I had I, I had a sense of praying for people with quote war wounds. Um, so I don't know whether that might. You know, kind of resonate with you this morning, and I, I just want to take a moment before I speak, um, and sort of I said, well, God, you know, kind of in a sense that's that's broad and and just you know, kind of picking up on a, an easy theme. Um, I also sort of had a more specific sense of um, shrapnel, so you know, kind of a, and I don't think probably literally we have anybody with war wounds here, although who knows, we, we may do. But but I, I did feel like that there were people here or somebody here that it would be good to pray for so I'm I'm just going to pray but but is there anybody here for whom that resonates I'm I'm just going to pray anyway so if that's a bit embarrassing so okay so a few people anyway so yeah sure Yeah, and, and again in a in a New Zealand context, certainly people who have immigrated are closer to the actual than probably us in New Zealand. But nevertheless we do know and understand it. So yes, the the, the maybe literally, as you say, Graden, um and the and it may be more figuratively, but it did it just did feel like this was important. So would you pray with me? And if you know, kind of if you've put up your hand, then this is particularly for you. Um and in general I'm sure that we would you know, kind of we'd gather in, in some sort of agreement. And so, Lord, on on this day, you know, kind of which is a significant day for a New Zealander or an Australian, Lord, we just pray for war wounds, whatever that means, you know, if it's even a, a literal thing that some may be uh, uh, subject to um, or it may be a figurative things, of things that we have taken on and have in our lives. Lord, we just, we stretch out our faith, our hands, our sense of your presence. And we ask that you'd bring uh, anointing oil, um, that you'd bring, you know, peace and calm. Uh, Lord, that you bring your healing touch. And and Lord, I push it just that little bit further and just say, Lord, if, if shrapnel is something that people are dealing with in their lives, maybe in a, a mental health way, or maybe in a you know, kind of something that they've experienced or seen. Lord, I just pray again that you'd bring healing into each and every life. And, Lord, we are conscious that there are at least one or two people in this building for whom they have a sense that that's a word for them, and we just pray for them now. Lord, would you draw close your your healing touch? And, Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you for that. I think that was important for us to do and to be aware of. So as we go into our message, let's just pray. So Lord, I thank you on a day, Lord, that we celebrate uh, Anzac Day. Lord, I thank you for some of the parallels between Gallipoli and Calvary. And Lord, I pray that we might sort of get something of a, of a sense of what you have to say to us this morning. And we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. So Jesus says um, in John 8, if the sun sets you free, then you will be free indeed. And it seems like an apt verse for us, an apt message, I guess, as we remember, you know, kind of maybe at dawn parades or maybe it's, um, you know, just by just by a quiet moment over a long monday weekend, you know, we get normally today wouldn't be a long weekend, but tomorrow we get a day off. So we get an opportunity to remember, and maybe for some of us that will be, significant, that we remember in remote places around the world and, and some deep in a way, we might say thanks for a freedom that has been won, a sense of freedom along the way. It's really interesting that those uh, um, uh, services that even people in our congregation have been to this morning are so well attended. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember in the 60s and 70s when Anzac Day nearly died um, around the Vietnam War time, around sort of you know the Flower Power, you know, kind of the the whole thing that was happening, say, make love not war. That sense, and Anzac Day was in crisis, and, and 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 it seemed like it might just die out, and yet it's 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 taken on almost a a whole new understanding among our society over the last twenty or thirty years, and so. Pre-COVID, obviously, because we can't travel now. But the the sense of going to the battlefields or the or the uh, yeah the battlefields and the graveyards of of Europe was quite a significant thing. You know, be it to um, Gallipoli and Turkey or to the to the um, to the cemeteries in, in France and places like that. That if you're in those places as a New Zealander, then then that would be somewhere that was important for us to go to. It seems like it's taken on a new sense of what achingly young New Zealanders, Australians, and and people from all over the world, you know, kind of went and did in the name of, you know, I don't know if it's freedom that they fought for, but in the name of something that seemed important, and we respect them for the things that they did on a day like today. It's commonly felt that our nationhood, New Zealand itself, was formed in the First World War. As we know, we went from being a colony of England in that time to being a country on our own right, that we wouldn't take instructions anymore from sort of a foreign, you know, foreign authorities or, or foreign, you know, um, even military authorities. And out of that, all of the responsibilities that come of being your own country, all of the um, privileges of being your own country is something that we enjoy even for today. Uh, I think for all sorts of reasons. COVID, we probably know as we, you know, kind of are able to go to a 660 concert last night or something like that, of being, it's good to be a New Zealander. And the Anzacs and Anzac Day has a significant part of, play, you know, plays, plays a significant part in all of that. So 100 years ago today, uh, April the 25th, 1915, or just over 100 years ago, um, and depressingly often since then, Young New Zealanders fought for our freedom. As Christians, of course, and this is the first time for 11 years uh, that that Anzac Day has actually been, 2010 was the last time it's been on a Sunday. As Christians, of course, we look back to another battlefield Um, 2,000 years ago, the battle between good and evil, the battle between life and death, and we recognize another freedom that has been won for us, freedom from sin, uh, the freedom for eternity. We also recognise the cost that that bore. You know, kind of the 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 bloody style of the winning of that freedom by a saviour on a cross, and we recognise that on a day like today. And so, from Gallipoli to Calvary, that doesn't seem to be clicking, um, Tim, at this point at least. I'm not sure whether we can get there. So, from a place like Gallipoli. Um, which, you know, kind of just echoes through us as a country, we think about what John says, that this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We have this kind of conjunction of these two ideas. And so this month, we've had two reasons to celebrate freedom. Earlier in the month, we had Easter, didn't we? Um, and, we, and we drew together around the communion table. And now in this weekend and on this day, we have Anzac Day. And like Graydon shared with us this morning, different people from different places will have different stories of war and stories of hero- heroism in their cultures and backgrounds as they come together. That they, and it's appropriate for them to know those things and to honor those as well. And as I've thought of these freedoms, the freedom that won by Christ and the freedom won by our soldiers, I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to have freedom that has been given to us? Um, I love the Saving Private Ryan clip where, where the Tom Hanks character goes back to the, to the cemetery in France where all of his mates are, are buried there. And, so, and Captain Miller, and he, and he breaks down over the graves, and he, and he turns and he says, you know, tell me I've lived a good life. What does he say? Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. This, uh, this seems like there's this innate sense in us to live worthy of those who have provided. I think, you know, kind of in a Christian sense, you know, kind of we, we want to live a worthy life of what Jesus has provided, the freedom. In a political, historical sense, we want to live worthy of what has been provided for us on the battlefield of our parents maybe, or our grandparents, or our great-grandparents, or even of just our parents in a family sense, and the provision that's been made for them that comes in all sorts of ways. And so Paul tells us that Christ has set us free for freedom's sake, and and he urges us to stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's something about the winning of freedom that, that, that Demands a sort of a, a realization of that freedom and a response to it from there. And so, how do we live free, indeed? How do we stand firm? And so, I want to I want to just give some thought to that on this Anzac Day morning, and maybe you'll have some ideas of your own, but worthwhile um, kind of thinking at, at as we go through this weekend. I think one of the things that we know in these things is we're, we're free to be grateful. I think gratitude's a really important thing for kind of to flow through people for whom freedom has been won. Um, This is uh, Queen Street on VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, May the 8th, uh, 1945. Um, You'll recognise our town hall, so you won't recognise probably much else, but, but the town hall is still there. You know, kind of when you've been at war and the war ends, there's a celebration and a gratitude that somehow spills out of us, that somehow is called forth from us. And, and where else would you have wanted to be on a day like today, but day like that day, than out amongst um, the people that you've, you've done tough times with and to celebrate a victory that's been won? I think gratitude's an underestimated quality. It's maybe even a discipline. You know, sometimes gratitude can be hard to conjure up when life is tough, when we're not sure about the freedoms that have been won or they're not sort of alive in our lives at the moment. It's so easy, I think, at times to get inward focus and and forget that we live in a a great country with great freedoms and that our faith offers us the freedom of eternity. It offers us the, the freedom from sin, the freedom to hope, the freedom to live life, the freedom to anticipate a future somehow kind of out of us that gives us a freedom to be grateful. I mean, how lucky are we? How grateful could we or should we be? I remember um, I I went to see a spiritual director once in the context of a retreat. And I don't know quite why I was saying this, but but I said to her, you know, kind of I sometimes feel guilty that I've had it so easy. You know, kind of those who went before me had it so hard. Or even those who are... Around me, sometimes have it so hard, and yet I've had a a great family and a great upbringing, and blah 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 blah. And 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 I, I just sometimes feel so guilty. And she said to me, and I think it was kind of words of life, really. And she said, Can't you just be grateful? Can't you just, you know, and and out of your gratitude, maybe you'll, you know, you'll have empathy and sympathy, and you know, you'll be able to work among those for whom are less fortunate. But can't you be grateful? For those things, and I've tried to be grateful ever since. When you're free, you're free to be grateful. I think it's a, it's a, it's a worthy thing for us to do. I think we're, we're free, too, to live well. You know, whatever that means, and it's, it's kind of a broad idea. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you abundant life. Freedom often comes at the expense of somebody else. Who has made the sacrifice for us again, be it our parents, be it the you know your, your, your first migrant family, some of you guys who are migrants and first, first generation migrants are making sacrifices even as we speak for your children and your children 's children. We respect that, and we love that about the fa- about the steps that you are making um, when I was a teenager um, i got uh, i 'm quite fascinated with a, a group of literature. That that's called the war poets or war poetry, comes out of the First World War, and there were they were um, you know I guess in a time where war was glorified, um, that these war poets who were actually in battle themselves began to write and it began to express some of the horrors of war and some of the awful nature of war. And so the, the three that were particularly significant to me were a guy called Siegfried Sassoon, who is actually English, although he sounds German, uh, a guy called Wilfred Owen, uh, and a guy called John McCrae. So Siegfried Sassoon um, uh, was kind of almost like the father of the war poets. He influenced the others. Wilfred Owen, famous for a poem called Anthem for a Doomed Youth. And John McCrae, who was a Canadian medic, actually, um, who wrote the most famous of the war poetry, a poem called In Flanders Fields. Um, He died of pneumonia January 1918. But in 1915, in May, in the midst of the horror that was the Western Front in the First World War, wrote In Flanders Fields. In In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow, he wrote between the crosses row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks still bravely singing, fly scarce heard among the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up your quarrel with the foe, To you from falling hands we throw, the torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders fields. The torch gets handed on, doesn't it, from those who have won our freedom to give us the freedom to live. Well, Siegfried Sassoon was the only one of the three who survived the war. John McRae died 1918 of pneumonia, like I say. Wilfred Owen died in battle a week before the end of the war, which just seems heartbreaking. Siegfried Sassoon wrote a poem called Aftermath at the end of the war, and he said, kind of just tears you apart, look down and swear by the slain of the war that you'll never forget. Look down and swear by the slain of the war that you'll never forget. I'm always fascinated in the Scriptures at the change in Peter when he knows and realises that Jesus would die for him. You know, Peter was, a, was a, a mixed bag at best, you know, kind of throughout the Scriptures, capable of incredible, I don't know, um, I don't, response and faith, um, even, even um, insight and wisdom and yet also, you know, kind of abandonment and desertion uh, and putting his foot in his mouth. But after Jesus died for him and he has this encounter with Jesus, he's restored on the beach, John 21, and we know the story, or some of us will know the story well. It's worth, it's worth looking at again that when Jesus' love was enough to die for him, Peter was transformed. Peter was transformed to live faithfully as the servant of Jesus, whatever the cost, and the cost would be the ultimate cost. He would be rejected, he would be imprisoned, and ultimately, church history would tell us he'd be crucified upside down in Rome. Living well, it's not a license. You know, living well is not a license to live at the expense of others. Living well is not a license to live immorally or indecently. Living well is not a license to live selfishly, Paul picks this up and he says, you know, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Uh, He says in Romans 6.18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. There is something about what Jesus has done for us that frees us. Yes, we're free, but not for license, not for anything. We're free to live well, to live right to live for righteousness according to that. Living well is living large, living generously, living openly, living with others in mind. We're free to do that, and we're called to do that. And then um, sort of my final thought really is, is we're, also, we're free to make a difference. You know, imagine if you're at war, all that you can think about is surviving today. You know, General William Sherman in the American Civil War famously said, war is hell. Three words which probably sum it up better than anybody else has ever done. Think of the stats. Gallipoli was a military disaster, which we celebrate today as a nation. 2,779 New Zealanders died in Gallipoli. One in six who landed died. I remember when I was a kid, because you've got, you know, invincibility on you when you're a kid, eh? And so I thought, one in six, I'd take those odds, that doesn't sound too bad to me. I reckon I could be one of the five, but it's, now you know it's Russian roulette. And what you don't know is it's like what Graydon's saying, is that the other five, what did they endure? You know, quite apart from the sickness and the dysentery and maybe wounded and all of those sorts of things, um, but what they've seen, uh, the PTSD, they called it shell shock in those days, you know, kind of the things that, that they would have to go through. I've even been thinking about it. I slashed my finger a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I've been back to the clinic about four times to get it dressed and, and you know, kind of, did the, the, you know, it's going to be fine, but if I was at Gallipoli, it would be infected by now and I may well have lost my hand, you know. It's like, you know, kind of there's something about being there that is life-changing, whether you come out of it or not. You know, on um, October the 12th, 1917, at Passchendaele, it was, the, it was the worst loss of life. 843 New Zealanders lost their lives at Passchendaele on the attack at Bellevue Spur. In um, one morning, 843, and it becomes sort of part of our nation etched into our history. When you're at war, all you get to do is try and survive another day, it seems. When you're hungry, all you can do is struggle to find the next meal. When you're locked in sin, all you can do is try and keep your head above water, but you can't afford it, really, for the devil. But we're free. We're free. We're not at war. We're not hungry, probably, most of us at least. And we're not locked in sin. Not because we're not sinful, but because we have Jesus who set us free. And so Paul again says so brilliantly, And you who were dead. And we were. God made alive together with him. This is the freedom that we have. And he goes on, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. And when you're free, you're free to make a difference. You're free to tell others of the freedom that you've won. You're free to ensure those who aren't free gain freedom as well. You're free to ensure future generations have the same freedom that we have. Because each generation has its own battles to win, doesn't it? You know, for our parents and our grandparents, it was obvious. It was the Germans or the Japanese or, you know, kind of whatever the fight was. For us it might be different. Is it the planet? Is it climate change? Is it is it suicide? You know, is it trafficking? I, I don't know. Your your answer might be different, but each generation has the permission, but but Sigrid Fassoon would say, Don't don't you dare waste it has the has the responsibility of claiming the freedom to make a difference. So when Jesus stood in the temple and read from Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness um, for the prisoners. That's, a, that's a, an ongoing call and invitation to us to be those people. So one of my favorite stories about the war is a guy called Nicholas Winton. I've shown this clip one other time in church. But Nicholas Winton was a British guy who saved 669 mostly Jewish children from Prague just days, literally days, before the Second World War started by arranging families in Britain to take these Jewish children because the Germans were already in Czechoslovakia, so they were in Prague. And no one knew of it for 50 years. He never even told his wife that he did it. Um, But there's a TV programme made, and if we're clever enough, we're just going to show you a little clip from this TV programme of Nicholas Winton. Oh, sorry, this is is him with one of the children that he saved. In 1988, the BBC learned about Winton's story and invited him to be part of a programme. He had no idea that the people sitting around him were people he had saved.
0: Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton. If so, could you stand up, please?
1: Mr. Winton, would you like to turn round? On behalf of all of them, thank you very much indeed. Incredible, eh? He was 28 years old uh, and he knew what was happening in in Germany uh, uh, and he took two weeks holiday from his job, went to Prague, set up a, a mission organisation, you know, kind of a, a Save the Children type of organisation, started um, connecting English families. 669, eight trains, Czechoslovakia is, is on the Uh, eastern side of Germany. He would fill the trains with children, send them right across Germany with Jewish children into France, across the Channel, and into England. So war was declared on the 1st of September, 1945, and he had a ninth train, which was going on the 1st of September, and it was stopped from going, and all of those children, you know, kind of presumably lost their lives. But just this incredibly powerful sense. Nobody knew about it. He got knighted at the age of 94, and he lived to 106. He died in 2015, for goodness sake. Nicholas Winton. And I just kind of think, you know, the, the freedom to make a difference is, is etched in every single one of us who is here because of what we have been given, what we have received, what we have in us, what is internal for us free to make a difference and you saw the people who stood up they say later in that clip and it's, it's about a 15 minute clip you can get it on youtube just kind of type in it's just it's really worth it. it's a fantastic uh, little program on him um, there are 15,000 people living because of those 669 li- living because of Nicholas Winton so the 669 you know their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren 15,000 people they reckon which is just incredible Um, we're free to make a difference. Peter would say, exercise your freedom. Exercise the freedom that you've got. And, And I guess this is not an exhaustive list, but by serving God, not breaking the rules, treating everyone you meet with dignity, loving your spiritual family, revering God. These are the things that freedom has been won for. So can I ask you to stand with me as we celebrate being free indeed? And before we have a bit of morning tea afterwards, I'm really looking forward to this because it's got a bit of an Anzac theme. Um, We're going to have of the meal that represents, of anything, the freedom that Jesus has won. And so if you're visiting with us today, please come and eat and drink with us if you would like to. This is a representation for us as Christians and, 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 and as believers of the body and blood of Christ at great cost, sacrifice for us to make us free. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you with a sense of awe, a sense of awe, not only because of the cross, to be honest, but, but on a day like Anzac Day of of where we live and why we live and how we live and the fact that that's been costly in all sorts of ways to all sorts of different people. But, Lord, we come with a a real sense of of having been freed for eternity, freed from sin, freed freed from death, whatever it is that, that you might prompt in us this morning. And so, Lord, at the very least in the context of the morning and its message, we want to be free to be grateful, Lord, we want to be free to live well, and we want to be free to make a difference. And Lord, we do that not because we have certain gifts of our own or on our own strength, but we do that, Lord, because of who you are. And so we, we recognize and we take a moment to bow and honor Just as you're ready, why don't you come? We're still observing protocols, but we've cut up bread today. So just if you can take a piece, try and keep your fingers just on the one piece. Um, there is some gluten-free in both on both tables. So just as you're ready, why don't you come? And maybe you'd hold it as you go back to your seats, and we'll eat and drink together in a moment. to So as we eat and drink, just with protocols, I'd love you just, I'm just going to pray, and I'd love you just to um, swap a cup with someone else. So I don't think that's going to uh, be a health issue. Um, and maybe it could be with the person that you came with, if you came with someone. And maybe it could be somebody else. But And, and if it ends up being an awkward three-way split, then that's okay as well. You'll figure it out. You're pretty free overall. So, Lord we, just, Lord, we just come with a sense of heart, with a sense of who and what you are, with a sense of being together, not in trenches or anything like that, but nevertheless doing life and in some way outworking what you mean to us and what you have done with us. And, Lord, we eat and drink life in community this morning because of others. And, and and that and we realise that and we embrace it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's eat and drink, eh? Go well, one and all please um please stay for some uh, some hard tech and uh we look forward to um, catching up with you again. We've got another service tonight I'm going to do the same message tonight at five. if you want to suggest somebody comes along, do let them know. God bless and we'll see you next week eh.